Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Austin's all sports leader, the Horn. I woke up to the morning sky first. Yeah, it should be plenty awake by now. It's the uh, final hour of our five on this Wednesday, 9 August. Coming up, the debut of Hard Knocks last night. Also, fabulous finish in Baltimore if you're a Houston Astros fan. What an at-bat for Kyle Tucker. Grand slam in the ninth inning. First time it's been done this year for a team trailing by three runs to get a granny in the ninth inning or later to take the lead and or win the ball game. And it came against uh, the premier closer in all of baseball, Felix Bautista, who came into that appearance last night with an ERA under a run, .85. And the Astros got him for four runs in the ninth inning, and they win that game 7-6. Wasn't a walk-off because they still needed Ryan Presley to shut it down in the ninth, which he did. Rangers are on a heater. They've won eight in a row now. Back-to-back wins in Oakland. And, hey, can we bring Ty in on the gambler's pick and bet? Because he's going to have his uh, what's popping pick of the night coming up. What's popping? Will the Oakland A's win 50 games this year? They're sitting at 32. How many games are left? Under. Um, for the mm, Oakland like A's? 50-something? Yeah, they're, they're under 50, I would Not guess. Not a chance. No. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No way, right? They're 32 and 82. But we also saw like the Kansas City Royals win seven in a row recently, and they're prob- probably around the same record. I don't know if the A's have it in them. <laughs> they, already, they, won like ten, they won like 10 in a row at one point this season. The A's. It's possible, but I'd, if I had to put money on it, I would say no. They're 17 and 41 at home. They're 15 and 41 on the road. Mm. The A's, yeah. Like they're they're so. I mean, they're. I don't think they get there. I think they get under 50, which you know that's historically awful. Historically awful. But uh, 32 plus 82 is 114. Mm. So that you know, 114 games. They got about 50 48. games left, right? Yeah. yeah, 48, 50 games. No way. No way. No way. <laughs> and they're trying. So they to need lose. 18 wins. If they they're out trying to lose, yeah, they need 18 wins out of those 48 to get to 50. No shot. Yeah, well, I'm thinking no. I want to go no on that. Hey, my pick. I'm, I'm one and one though. On yeah, you show. had your uh, what's popping pick of the night last night. Would you have Detroit? Yeah, Eduardo Rodriguez pitched a pitched a shutout, six zero Detroit. I still don't get that guy. He was he was mm. traded on the on the trade deadline day to the Dodgers. LA Dodgers and said no. Chose Detroit. I want to stay in Detroit. LA. Okay. Yeah. I don't get something. There's something else to that. It's something personal, relationship, yeah, family. There's something. How else does that on. guy have a no trade clause too? Yeah, because Major League for. Baseball's <laughs> Player Association is the most powerful in Major American Pro Sports. That's why they get what they want. <laughs> and that's what uh, your agent does for you too. Give mm-hmm. me that no trade clause. Damn good agent. Yeah, it can help when it comes around to it. So that was part of last night. Also, Rod, we've talked about Greg Sankey and his visit on uh, the Paul Feinbaum show yesterday. What'd you take from from what we heard from Greg Sankey? We'll play some more of his he, audio. He but. doesn't want to basically he doesn't want to be compelled to make a move just because there is realignment happening around him. Basically, he wants people to know that the the motives for SEC realignment are not the same motives for everybody else's realignment. That they have a strategic goal in mind for the reason that they acquire teams or that they are going to expand. And right now, he doesn't see any reason. Or motivation for it for the SEC. Yeah, I think that might change if Florida State all of a sudden becomes a free agent. But we may be a year or years away from that. Uh, and yes, because he, you know, we heard from him earlier <laughs> talking about the fact that uh, 
you know, just because there's, there's, you know, we did what we did when we brought in Texas and Oklahoma, and we're good. We're good with that. That's all we needed to do. Yeah. And I think he was trying to tamp down, and I shouldn't maybe say tamp down because the, the, the brush fires are going on out there. Be careful out there. With Please the heat. do, man. Thirty-one straight days of a hundred plus, and now no we're dealing rain. with with uh, brush fires and. Uh, I saw where an apartment complex got destroyed yesterday out in Cedar Park. So yeah, it's pretty please, sad. And the winds are up. The winds are up today and tomorrow, uh, which really leads to because once that fire gets going, if the winds are blowing, oh, it jumps. It can you know go fast. Yeah, really quickly. Really quickly. So be careful. But uh, I think Greg Greg Sankey was trying to tamp down the idea that because when this all went down, you immediately heard Florida State wants to join the SEC mm-hmm. and Clemson wants to join the SEC and everybody's thinking their I mean heads are spinning. And Sankey said uh, that, that the SEC leaders met last Friday amidst the whole collapsing of the Pac-12 and said they're not looking to be part of the latest realignment phase. They're good. The presidents are good. Now, you think that's for now. I, I think they may reconsider it if Florida State actually does become a free agent. But right now, what's the point in, you know, what's the point in expanding upon hypotheticals, expounding upon hypotheticals if you're uh, Greg Sankey? I think Greg Sankey is basically telling everyone that, we don't have the same motivations as you guys, and we we feel like right now we're stable and we're in a really good place, and they don't really have any reason, incentive to go expand now, right now. I do think that'll change or could change in the future depending on if the Big Ten, the Big Ten is intent on going to 20-something teams, who knows, whatever it is. Um, I do think the SEC may react if the Big Ten continues to make more moves. We don't know if they will, but if they do, I think the SEC may be compelled to act in that situation. But and as Greg Sankey said, and I think you'll hear him say it in one of these cuts we're going to play. He, you know, because he, he, he was asked by Paul Feinbaum about and something we've talked about. You know, they don't play outside of the Midwest time zone, right? They play mm-hmm. in the Eastern time zone and the Midwest time zone. They don't play west and, and in the mountains and that. And and Greg Sankey accurately said, "Look, we don't." We don't have to play in the West to be relevant. We're taking all the best players from the West Coast as is in the SEC. We're playing the biggest games of the year. And, you know, we'll hear Sankey say, but one of the reasons that Sankey was behind the idea of moving to a 12-team playoff was we need the West Coast involved in football. We can't not have them. Yeah, a a fourth in the country. I think think Sinks, well, think about it. We had a run there where the national championship games were played between teams that are separated by 250 miles. I mean, you're talking about Clemson to Alabama, Alabama to LSU, uh, Georgia. I mean, these schools are all in, in a southeastern conference yeah. territory. I mean, you're SEC with, country. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And that's who's dominating college football right yep. now. And, you know, that has the TV ratings have been down on the West Coast. Uh, people aren't, there's apathy to it. It's becoming too regional. Yeah. Too, college football is coming too regional. Yeah. Well, yeah. Then, because that's where the power is. Now, the, the argument here is well, guess what? Oregon, Washington, uh, USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten to collect that $100 million when they get to full, because USC and UCLA are coming into the Big Ten as full freight members. They're going to make the $100 million in media rights, and then eventually Oregon and, and Washington will get there. Well, that should help those schools playing in bigger games in other parts of the, mm-hmm. playing in the other time zones, that, that USC should become more of a power in the Big Ten. Washington should become more of a power instead of being stuck up there in the great Northwest. Oregon could become more of a power. Now, uh, he also said, in addition to not wanting to expand, uh, Greg Sankey, for the first time publicly, said he believes the 12-team college playoff, which begins tomorrow, uh, tomorrow next year, mm, 2024, needs to be revisited. Because when we agreed to six conference champions, because they agreed to six and six, Ron, the, the current agreement for, for 2024, let's remind people, was for six and six. 
which would mean you know six conference championships champions highest ranked, which would mean the the five power five schools, yeah, and then one group of five school that gets guaranteed into the playoffs, and then six at large bids to the playoff. He is saying that now now that the Pac-12 is no longer, there are only four power conferences, and then there were four. So let's do five conference. So so the four power conference champions highest ranked into the playoff, and then one group of five, and then let's have seven wild. Let's have seven at large. I think is what he didn't say that number, but that's what he's getting at. Mm-hmm. And let's hear him on on Paul Feinbaum talking about. You know, we need to revisit this whole playoff scenario if you know with the implosion of the Pac-12. And here in the SEC, we want SEC wanted college football to be strong nationally, and we've not seen uh, a West of the Rockies participant in the playoff since I believe 2016. And and so the expansion was about making sure we brought in Western football. Well, now what's happened is Western football has come into other conferences. Uh, the net of that is circumstances have changed, and I think it's it's wise for us to take a step back and reconsider uh, what the format might look like given these changed circumstances. Uh, we've not met on that. I've not had any meaningful conversations, but but I think we, we have to acknowledge that it is on everyone's mind pending the outcome of some of these additional uh, membership movement pieces. Is there anything about the expansion that, that changes in your in your estimation now with what has happened in recent days? Well, it remains to be seen, but you know, how many FBS conferences will exist in 30 or 60 days, particularly as we, we had in the next season, if you want to lengthen that time frame. Um, we've been engaged in, in the right kind of conversations around future media opportunities around the logistical issues and decisions related to the first round of games on campus and and how do we move then into bowl games, but we do have changed circumstances. Uh, Right now we still have 10 FBS conferences, but there's obviously a great question about whether that will remain. And and yeah, that that could create a a thought in my mind and I think in others about uh, some level of adjustment being made. I do think the access we've created uh, through the 12-team format uh, still seems wise, but maybe there are elements and specifics of what was decided uh, when we had clarity around 10 conferences that, that might need to be adjusted given what's happening right now. All right, so there it is. That's not the number, but I think you can get where he's going. Five guaranteed champions yeah. and then seven at large. And he knows the SEC will be. <laughs> There's a good chance of that seven. Yes, they'll be in an advantageous position because out of those seven, they'll get three. May, probably and more than that some years. They'll get three yeah. of that seven. I'll also let you hear from Greg Sankey. This is where when you hear Greg Sankey, people start talking about, man, if we get to a point where we have 67, 70 teams all playing in these four big conferences, Whatever that number ends up being. Right now it's at 64, but you know if the ACC were to add Stanford and Cal, and now they're talking SMU apparently. Yep. Now it's at 67, but those you know those schools that, that maybe they split off and they govern themselves the four big conferences. And if they were ever to have a commissioner of the four big conferences, right, the Power Four, Greg Sankey would be a good choice. Here's mm-hmm. Greg Sankey about working with other conference commissioners to help keep to grow college football while holding on to the key traditions that make college football. So special. So fast forward to relationships. I had a warm relationship uh, with Kevin. We, we saw the world differently. Um, I had three colleagues in a room uh, repeatedly from, what, 21-4, just saying, no, we're not going to expand and trying to ask them to explain 
in fact, engaging in, how do we address your concerns? Just tell me what it is and how do we work through those? Ultimately, it took the president's. Tony's come in. Um, Tony and I have had the opportunity to meet several times. In fact, uh, with no secret, we were at a Cubs game as a conference with our athletics directors, Crane Kenny and what they've built around Wrigley to honor tradition, which you can do as you modernize and figure out how to present the game to fans um, in a way that draws them in and obviously builds revenue and builds excitement. We wanted to learn from that. You know, Tony and I had the chance to sit down since I was in his backyard. And uh, he's done some work with TV uh, around ABC and CBS. Mark Womack in our office knows him really well. I I've really appreciated the chance to come to work with him. But I'll just observe, you know, Jim Phillips and I worked on a new basketball challenge that comes online for our men and women's teams this fall. I think that's exciting. Even though we disagree, we can move forward. What What's key is to identify the points of, of disagreement and then work on those. And of anything that frustrated me through that CFP experience is we never made the effort to work through some of the stopping points. All right, so there he is. He's talking about Tony Petiti, who is the new commissioner of the Big Ten. Yep. And they're going to have to work mm. together. And, you know, there he is saying you got to find common ground, but at the same time work together to grow the game. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's no longer a regional conversation right you're Agreed. losing you know think about what's going to happen starting in 2024 there's a very good chance we know oklahoma won't play oklahoma state oregon's now not likely to play oregon state washington washington, washington state, state yeah. going away now usc and ucla will still play the argument is that you know texas will now be playing texas a&m again which is rightful texas will be playing arkansas again oklahoma <laughs> oklahoma will be playing missouri again which at one point was a big eight rivalry so there are some but yes they're losing a lot of these in-state rivalry games now but you're getting better blockbuster marquee matchups. Yes. So yes. you may not be creating rivalries to replace some of those old rivalries, but because that takes decades, it takes history and tradition and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of marquee blockbuster, sexy headliner matchups, you're getting way more now with realignment. Well, so, think about what now is Big Ten. Oh. How about the Oregon-Washington rivalry on the great Northwest? That becomes a big deal. Huge deal uh, now. Yeah, I mean, USC-UCLA becomes bigger than ever uh, on the western flank of the Pac-10. I should mention, Rod, to the audience that's just joining us, we talked about it earlier, but uh, on a related note to this, the ACC, look, they're trying to appease their membership mm -hmm. and grow their footprint. Uh, because growing footprint, because if you're going back to ESPN saying we need more money. What do you want to offer? They're going to say, well, nothing. We're locked in until 2036. <laughs> exactly. Well, now could they go back to ACC by saying we're going to add Cal and Stanford and we're going to add SMU. Mm. This name is on the on the on now on the top of everybody's minds. That SMU would expand the footprint, gets the ACC with a, with a foot into Texas uh, and the Metroplex, you know, top eight media market. And then, um, you know, the West Coast, obviously, with, with traditional relevant schools like Cal and Stanford, would that allow ESPN to come back and say, okay, we'll open the purse swings a little bit here. We'll, we'll, and to add to that, that I saw a story this morning, Rod, that would suggest that the, the, the SMU is willing to join the ACC yeah. on like a 10% it's a it's revenue share. Yeah, like an extreme discounted rate in terms of the revenue share. Because they to be in that conference and they, to be part of the 67. Yep, they want stability and they want something sustainable because when the on the round of musical chairs ends, <laughs> all right, they want to make sure that they got a spot. And they figure the ACC has a really good chance to survive everything. And they want to be 
in the the upper room of college football. That's right, the upper room, as and Deion not, Sanders calls yes, it. Yes, and not the relegated, what I call the ugly section of college football, which is going to be a lot of the brands and a lot of the leagues that just, America doesn't care care much about. Well, think about what we just said. If they go to a 67 teams and SMU is a part of that, and they break away and they have their own rules, and, mm, but for NIL commissioner and commissioner, and kind of stuff. you want to be a part of that. Yep. And even if you only get, I mean, what do you, what do they make in in their current conference SMU revenue sharing wise? I would have to go check. I'm I mean, not sure. I would imagine SMU would say, "We'll take what we're making now to be in the ACC." And then the other side of that is that Stanford and Cal would be half members. Like they they're they're willing because again they're not going to make that out west. Not in the Pac-12. Now with that current TV right. deal, <laughs> with and, and look, and we know that the ACC would covet the idea of really good schools. I mean, SMU's not Stanford or Cal, but it's a pretty damn good education, a mm. pretty damn good school, which lines up with the Dukes and the Virginias and the North Carolinas, and you know that type of academic you know gravity or gravitas that they want to have. Uh, there's a chance there, especially if those schools are so desperate to become part of the Big 67 <laughs> that they're willing to take. Like if, if SMU said, look, we're going to take exactly what we're owed in the American Athletic Conference now mm-hmm. to join you guys. And we'll, that's all. For how long, do. though? Right. There'd have to be a yeah, stair step. Be a, yeah, you're right. You put a time limit on it. Well, and I think yeah. it would be if you show some growth, if we can start feeling like we're getting some traction in the Dallas DFW Metroplex because all of a sudden SMU's playing a home game with Miami or SMU's playing Clemson. Or they're playing, you know, one of the top Florida State comes to, to to Dallas. Well, that becomes a game people pay attention to. It draws TV ratings in Dallas. They get fan attendance. That grows the SMU brand, which that would then raise the level of income that they could make based on the ACC. And deal. I can guarantee the ACC coaches would love the idea of being able to go and play in Dallas uh, and at SMU because I've done the research in the last three years. The only states to produce more NFL players, draftable players, in the last three years have been Texas, Florida, Georgia, and California. Basically, that's it. If you take the DFW area by itself and treat it like you treat all the other states in terms of draftable players in the last three years, only Texas, Florida, California, and Georgia have had more players drafted than DFW. Yeah, it is loaded with talent well, look, all and over is, the place. Well, and the ACC schools—they want a piece of it, and they get some of that that, that West Coast love too, because they'll be, you know, they'd have some West Coast. Stanford and Cal well. creates yeah. better, and, and what does that do for ESPN? It's a better TV show. We have mm-hmm. better games to put on TV. And to your point, you got to look at not SMU just right now, but think about SMU five years from now, right? If yep. you know, if you're in that Big Sixty-Seven. If Rhett Lashley's not the right coach, you can go out and allure a bigger coach, a bigger name coach. And nobody's got, I mean, talk about deep pockets in NIL. That's SMU. SMU's got some old money. (laughs) They got some old money. They got some old money. Yes. So they can compete uh, firmly in NIL. They can be in the transfer portal, which Sonny Dykes was there, and that's how he built that program. Uh, through the through the portal, bringing Dallas kids back to Dallas who had gone off to play somewhere and it didn't work out. They're coming back and playing. I think Shane Bouchelle is quarterback there. Bouchelle. Garrett Gilbert, yeah, Garrett Gilbert. Yep. So uh, you know, it just if you're SMU, if they were able to whatever the deal they have to cut to get into the ACC is in a better place. Because guess who's not in the ACC? We mentioned them: Oregon State, Washington State. Um, you know, schools on the West Coast. If you're not in that. You're not playing with the heavyweights. Mm-hmm. You just need to be in that league yeah. uh, where the TV deals are, the media rights deals can grow for you because these are decisions not just made for this season. It's but, a long-term thing. You know, 2034 yeah. and 2044 and 2054 is you what You also have to at. think about the other sports, too. Like somebody has mentioned on the text line, if they're looking at SMU, why don't they look at Rice? 
And I'm like, uh, Rice mm. basketball is a little bit different. Well, Rice doesn't basketball. invest in their athletic department yeah. nearly to the level SMU does. That's a, that's a great point. Like, SMU has gone out and hired Larry Brown to coach mm-hmm. their basketball team. They've gone yeah. out and, and brought Sonny yeah. Dykes to coach football. Rice is just, they're all academics all the time. They're going into the American Conference with us. Yeah, but year, maybe that could change. But at this point, uh, you, you can see the appeal of the ACC to get a footprint in Dallas for the reasons you mentioned for recruiting. Uh, play those games in in a, in a huge market. ESPN mm-hmm. may be willing to to up the up the ante. Now, is that going to make Florida State and Clemson you know appease them? Probably not, but no. it can make them happier. Um, exactly, and, and you can go back and ask for more money, and these have now something to present to them. And and they, I know people get tired of these cliches and these these phrases, but expand the footprint. You and have they, to, and because right now the ACC plays exclusively in the Eastern Time Zone, that would expand you into the Midwest and to the Western Time Zone for games in all sports. By the way. In all sports, because that's mm-hmm. what your media rights deal is predicated on. Uh, so keep an eye. Those could be the next moves with the ACC looking to respond to what the Big Ten and the Big 12 have done over the last week or so. SMU's leadership is smart for at least starting the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've been talking to everybody. And, we'll talk. and, and it feels <laughs> hey, like we're going to have the you debate. Know what? Smart move. <laughs> we're going to feel like we're going to have the debate here in the coming weeks, which leadership has been more asleep at the wheel and more dumb, the Pac-12 or the L.A. Angels of Anaheim. <laughs> uh, oh, it all depends on if they re-sign Shohei. They re-sign Shohei. Not a chance. I don't. That's. I don't know. I know. They should have traded him. They should have traded. They should have. Yeah. I agree with that. I said that up to the very last day. But the, the only the they 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 announced that they weren't going to trade him. I said that's dumb. The only rationale for not trading was that you believe you either had a chance to make the playoffs, which now we know that is. Well, Rod. Know, that, Rod. It's a Herculean task considering where they are now at 57 and 58. Yeah. They were buyers at the deadline and they've been worse since they Which means they gave up they more of their farm system. They did. <sighs> and they are now 11 and a half back of the Rangers. They're eight games out of a playoff spot. The Mariners are ahead of them now. I know. The Mariners are way ahead of them now, by the way. Five games the Mariners are ahead of them. Uh, which means because the Mariners all of a sudden won six in a row and three of those came against the Angels. So, yeah, they're sinking. It's and so this sad. is worst-case scenario for the Angels because not only did they not trade, trade trade Shohei and get the bundle that they could have gotten for him. Gave up prospects. They gave up more of their farm to go for it. Then Shohei's going to walk. Mm. So they're further depleted. And their 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 hope was, this is worst-case scenario right now, this this little you know two-and-eight trip, you know this losing streak they're on because they're falling out of contention. They're going to get Mike Trout back. They're going to get their catcher back. All these moves were made to be – in the mix in September. When they got healthy. They're not going to be there. They're oh. not going to be there. Man, it's so sad because baseball fans are really the ones that lose. You got the best player on the planet. Well, think about how they Maybe trade. the two best players. And then you got a top five player, Mike Trout. Yeah, it might be two best, but you don't get to see him in the, the postseason. Leadership. You don't get to see him and in the postseason. And I blame Marty Moreno, the owner, just like we blame you know, George Klyavkov oh. and the Pac-12 for not paying attention. And think about it. What a great story it would have been if they had traded him. A, you stock your farm with young talent, and B, he would have been traded to a contender. A playoff team. Which would have made that more interesting for the win, game. Win-win, yes. what they call it. <laughs> you know, if the Rangers or the Dodgers or the Braves or whoever acquired Baltimore. Braves. You imagine the Braves had got Shohei? Yes. That's a compelling story because we would have gotten to see Shohei in these hugely important games come Is September Is it possible that nobody had a – a realistic price for somebody with such a unique skill set that basically we've never seen a player like Shohei, and no, none of the offers even made uh, sense. You would have compared it to precedent, which would have been the trade in which the Dodgers acquired Max Scherzer and Trey Turner 
two players two at play- the deadline. Yeah, 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 exactly. But two That's and one. That's what you would have to give up to get him. And two and one, though. Two and one, and two better players. Like Scherzer was great, and Trey Turner's a great player. So that trade from the – that's what you would have to be, be on that's top of. a starting with. point. Yes. But somebody would have done it. Somebody would have traded for Shohei. They, oh, yeah, no doubt. That's I believe the one that. the package would have I been. I believe that. And so, unfortunately, the Angels organization further falls behind. They're going to be more and more like the Oakland A's uh, with Mike Trout and Shohei. And Shohei is oh. going to leave, and they're going to have to trade Trout. Uh, you have to. You have to. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll think about that with Shohei. Now, when the big, biggest games of the year are being played – Shohei won't be playing. He's having arguably the greatest baseball season that's ever we've been ever played. seen. Yeah, and it's not going to matter. It won't lead to a postseason. In September per- is going to mean nothing. That, what that, makes them so bad? Their pitching's bad. They're just not a well-built team. I mean, everything. How can you? How can you? How can you have a team that is not well-built when you have two of the best players on the planet? How's mm. that possible? Well, I think. Look, okay, well, we we'll pick this up on your side. I know. Think, think I of know. the think of the Rangers. I mean, you've got all stars at shortstop and second base that you Crazy, paid a boatload man. to, but. You know, you drafted Josh Young, and he's a stud at third base. You traded for Jonah Heim, and he's a stud at catcher before he got hurt. Um, you've made shrewd moves. Nathaniel Lowe was a trade that you made to put another really quality piece there. You developed Adolis Garcia. Uh, all these moves you made to put around your your cornerstone yeah. guys. Uh, the, the Angels have the cornerstones. They just don't have the other guys. <laughs> they don't have the other dudes. All right, we'll be back. Uh, Ian Rodby with a good comment there. Coming back, we'll go behind the burnt orange curtain one more time before we're done on a Wednesday. More Texas football news uh, with Rod and his deep dive conversations. It is E. Going behind the burnt orange curtain here in a moment with uh, Texas football talk. 24 days. 24 days until the uh, start of the Longhorn football season. It's three weeks from Saturday, folks. Three weeks from Saturday. Countdown is on. Who's the best 24, Rod? 24 in Longhorn history. Who jumps out to you? Oh, wow. Um, top of my dome. This, yeah, this year is history. number 24, it's Jonathan Jay Brooks. Brooks. Uh, Greg Brown was 24 when I played. Greg Brown? That was my 24 that I played with. No, no, no. 24 is not a – I don't think it was like a really popular number when I played. I'm not sure. Yeah, you're starting running back for Texas this year. Jonathan Brooks out of Hallettaville is likely to uh, maybe make a name for that number. He needs to. Make a name for that um, they, number. You know, right now the running game is one of the question, unproven question marks, the uncertainties about this Texas yeah, this football team, team for twenty twenty three. Checks a lot of boxes, is boxes, but yes, proven commodity running back, and look, that's by that's by reason because well, they you had lost Bijan and Roshan. Roshan. You They're lost one. your best leader and your best player. Yeah. And they were both playing the same position. Yes, <laughs> so, and yeah, and I will say for Jonathan Brooks, when he did get a chance, he performed. Yes, he looked really good. Yeah, when he uh, got his yeah. opportunities, he. Be I agree with that. I agree with that. He did look really good. So you, you can feel like there's an optimism to that. Um, so, yeah. Uh, also, Ron McKelvey wore 24. Ron The roster McKelvey. imposter. How about that <laughs> Joe one? Bergeron is a good one. Joe Bergeron, the big one. Joe Bergeron, back. yeah. Roster imposter. Roster imposter might be the most famous. Cause, oh, I think he is. Yeah, infamous, I should say. Oh, actually, CB hooked it up. Maybe CB's right about this. CB says Tom Landry. Oh, I did not know that. Says Tom Landry wore twenty four. Ray Raymond Claiborne. Oh, that are there. Ray okay. Clay. It's probably Ray Clay. Well, and look, I look at Absolutely. Ty through the glass. I don't think he knows that Tom Landry I played at Texas. About that. We've talked about that before. But. Well, Texas for some reason we don't know why they don't promote it a ton. I don't but know. They why only, it's he only not played promoted. like a year, right? It wasn't like he played. I don't know how. I, I think he was a pretty good player. I think he, yeah, really? I think he was a pretty good player. Like, he is Tom Landry. And he's Tom freaking. I don't give a damn if he played one snap. You claim, claim that. that. Claim, yeah. that. Claim, <laughs> that. <laughs> claim that. You claim that. So I don't know why, but yeah, Tom Landry. So he's him and uh, Ray Clay. Is that why Jerry Jones fired him? 
Is he the Longhorn? While he was golfing in Austin. <laughs> While he was golfing in Austin. Oh, good. is that really true that he was golfing yeah. in Austin uh-huh. when he got hurt? Because uh-huh. uh, a that. lot of old school Cowboy fans still won't forgive him for that, for how he handled the legend. You right. There's one thing to get rid of the. I want to say Craig said his late wife wouldn't forgive Jerry Jones over well, that. One, I mean, it's 30 years. He <laughs> built into America's team with Tex Schramm. And there's, there's one thing about, okay, it's time to move on, but you do it in the proper that's a, way. That's a classy way to do it. Yeah, that's the right way. Uh, somebody has, like, before we go behind the curtain, Ron, somebody texted our buddy uh, Lakeway. Texture in Lakeway. Shout out. In retrospect, it would, it would have been great if UT and OU persuaded USC and UCLA to just join the Big 12. Damn. Is that interesting? <laughs> now, that is interesting because you definitely can get a better media rights deal once you bring them in. Yeah. <laughs> like, then you would get a big time media rights deal. Get the LA market to go with what you've already got. Hey, but you know what? No, no. You know why that doesn't work, Lakeway? And that's a really uh, smart, astute uh, text there. Leadership. Leadership. Now, they brought him in and then fired Bowlesby and then bring in Klyovkov. Oh, sorry, not Klyovkov, but bring in Yarmark. Yarmark, yeah. That would be great. But I think Bowlesby would have taken credit for the move, and then he would have got a new contract extension, too. And remember, they wanted to get from underneath bad leadership in an, with an uncertain future and a, a ever-changing landscape of college sports with NIL and transfer portal. And Bowlesby, the Michael Scott of conference commissioners, was not the guy. We also have to add the TV Game of Thrones battle. ESPN would have never let it happen. Because, oh, so remember, because ESPN is, is SEC, Big Ten is Fox. Yeah. This was this is how this works, and those are the two big big dogs, and that's why they're spending the biggest money. Yeah, uh, the, the TV puppeteers. networks would have never they're, let it happen. They're pulling the strings, mate, <laughs> behind the scenes. And yeah, <laughs> they, really they run are. all of it behind the point. curtain. It's You're the right. Wizards of Oz from L.A. and Bristol, Connecticut. Hey, it's time to go behind the burnt orange curtain for one last time on a Wednesday. And they were all asking themselves the same question: What is behind that curtain? All right, I'll be quick because I know we're up against it. I've stated this uh, several times, so if you missed it, just please go back to uh, the podcast and we'll post, and then you can go hear it for yourself in in great detail. Uh, So basically what I want this season is for Sark to use more empty formations. Yesterday, Sark talked about deploying five receivers. It got me to thinking about, hey, deploying five receivers? Maybe he's hinting at empty formation, which is a, a formation with no backs in the backfield. I've been obsessed with it for a while. All you guys know who listened to me over the years. But I went and looked at Quinn Ewers post-injury. So we're talking about Oklahoma uh, game and on. And and uh, looked at those eight games, so an eight-game sample size, and how Quinn Ewers performed in empty formation. And the results that I found may tell is telling me, and I'm sure Sark knows about this too, because he's got all the analysts and the, uh, the assistants, the special assistants of the head coach that can find all of these trends and patterns. But when I looked at it, the uh, eight game sample size of Quinn Ewers in empty formation, I think it's something that could become my favorite cheat code for Texas in 2023. So he was at a 62% completion percentage, and you'll say to yourself, that's not very high. It's not. That's not the purpose of empty. Uh, The empty formation is to clean up the pre-snap reads for the quarterback. It uh, forces defenses to get to their alignment assignment, so no pre-snap shell disguise. All right, There is no pre-snap rotation or movement with the secondary in the back seven. Everything is cleaned up. The defense will show you their hand, whether they're in man or whether they're in a zone. So it 
it cleans it up and it makes everything crisp in terms of being able to identify the one-on-ones for the quarterback. So keep that in mind, it cleaned up everything for Quinn Ewers. So 62% completion percentage, but what you're looking for are the big plays. That's what I found about empty formation at the high, at high school level, college, and pro level is that it generates at a really high level of explosive plays. And Texas in empty formation with Quinn Ewers as the quarterback post-injury, so we're talking about Oklahoma and on, 62% completion percentage at a first down rate. That's the rate of, of, of plays in empty that equal a first down or that convert a first down. Um, 41% first down rate. You're at a 44% first down or touchdown rate. And if you throw in the rushing attempts, which uh, Quinn had one rushing attempt, you're at 46% plus first down or touchdown rate out of empty formation in that eight-game sample size. That is a really high number. Now, you're only at a little less than eight yards per play. You're at 7.6 yards per attempt, but you have to keep in mind is the explosive plays, plays of at least 15 yards in the passing game, 10 yards in the running game, and Texas in empty formation post-injury for Quinn Ewers, they were at 20%. So you're at 20% explosive play rate. And this is without A.D. Mitchell. This is with a regressing, broken hand X-Man. This is with Sark not weaponizing Jay Witt like he should. And a J.T. Sanders just learning how to play the tight end position. And you could argue you have upgraded weapons at every position in your receiving core in your passing game, you're going to be lethal. These numbers I gave you are good, but you're going to be lethal out of empty formation. And a, and a potentially improved offensive line. And an improved offensive line. Thank you. An improved quarterback play. Improved you, offensive if line. If you're a defensive quarterback trying to stop the spread, you're trying to get to the quarterback. You you're are. Gonna, but that's the beauty with, of the empty formation. It speeds up the clock of the quarterback, and you can't get to the quarterback before he gets the ball right. out. Well, you're not going to be blitzing, but you're going to try to. You, you're down four, have to get there and get yes. home. And if they can, you can neutralize. If you can't, you may not be able to stop. It. You're SOL. I looked at all the sack rates last three years. Actually, sack rates 20, 21, and twenty two all drop. Out of empty formation. And here's another beautiful thing. The best game that Quinn Ewers had out of empty formation was the last game of the season. 87% plus completion percentage versus Washington out of empty. Seven and a half yards per attempt. He had a uh, 25% first down rate. He also ran out of it, which is something he wasn't really comfortable doing early on in the season. He had a 12-yard run out of empty. So we're looking at, in that bowl game, nine plays out of empty, eight yards per play, 33%. First down rate. Those are great numbers that will be even better when you put empty formation, that concept, with the talent that Texas has in the passing game. So my, I think right now you're looking at probably close to, with Texas, under 10%. They were at 8%, 9% uh, empty formation hey, You're not saying usage. to go to this as your base formation. I'm not saying, saying basis. I'm saying 15%. 15%. I'm saying around 10 to 15%. You'll probably lead the country. If you go empty formation a little over 15%, because not a lot of teams are doing it a ton. That's close to double what they did. I would also say to your Washington stat, if Xavier Worthy wouldn't have dropped the pass, the touchdown pass, his numbers would have been better in the Alamo Dome, because that was out of a spread set. Was it out of empty? Well, was not a, no, he had, a, he had a back next to him, but oh, it was he had four a back wide. Next to him. Yeah. No, no, it's, like I said, Sark was dialing it up, and I think it's, he's figured out, I think he figured out late last season how effective they could be out of empty. Remember, versus TCU, one of their best adjustments was empty. They went 4-4 in the second half versus TCU, one of the best defenses in the country, out of empty. 12.5 yards per attempt 
All right, three. He had a uh, three first down. So you're looking at a really high first down touchdown, first down rate out of that 75 percent. Really effective versus TCU's really good defense. Iowa State, it was actually pretty good too. He was Iowa State. They were two of three out of empty formation. Iowa State, really good defense. 41 yards, two first downs. It seems to me that three high defense, one of the adjustments Sark should utilize and uh, deploy versus the three high defense, which has become his kryptonite, is empty formation. Agreed. All right, there's Rod Babers behind the Burn Orange Curtain. Great stuff. If you missed any of the uh, the Rod's rants or the other uh, deep dive analysis, it's all there at the podcast at hornfm.com. Also uh, on our app, if you have not downloaded it, what are you doing? Download the app. Coming up, what's popping? What's popping tonight? Ty hit you a gambler's pick last night. Astros had a heck of a win. Go Astros! We'll get you the other things you need to be watching tonight and watching for uh, into your Wednesday night, into your Thursday. The Horn. Listen on the Horn app. Hornfm.com. 101.9. AM 1260. Good morning. Aaron Hogan. Rod Babers. Mornings. Austin, Texas Sports. The Horn. What's poppin'? Brand new whip. Just hopped in. Just hopped I got options. I can pass that. It's like stocking. Rod Babers popping today, this afternoon. The Rangers go for the sweep at uh, Oakland. Breaking the brooms out. Yeah, breaking up the broom, then they better. But uh, A's Rangers today. Rangers will have their newest acquisition on the mound. Uh, Jordan Montgomery, the left-hander they acquired from the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Scherzer killed it last night. Scherzer, Scherzer was lock, rock solid. Uh, so Jordan Montgomery tonight against Pruitt. Uh, Astros play tonight at Ghost 6, Rose. looking for back-to-back wins. What a knockout punch that was last night. Could have staggered the Orioles with that one mm. with the Grand Slam. It's going to be Christian Javier tonight for Houston. 7-2 and two is record, but his ERA, he hasn't been nearly as good this year as he was at the end of last year. 439, he needs to improve on that. His whip is too high, too. He's walking too many batters. He's been uh, struggling with his control, Javier. And he's going to face Jack Flaherty tonight, Rod, who is the – so the the Rangers are throwing the pitcher that they acquired from the Cardinals at the deadline. The Astros are facing a pitcher who the Cardinals traded to Baltimore at the deadline, Jack hmm. Flaherty, who was really good in his first start with the Orioles. He's a big right-hander, 27 years old. So the Astros will face a pretty darn good right-hander this evening, much like they did last night. So that's what's popping on the baseball front. What's popping for you? i got to watch this Johnny Manziel documentary. I think so. It's got to happen tonight. I've been hearing, honestly, I hear mostly good things. I don't think I've heard too much negative criticism about the Johnny Manziel doc. Most people say it's good to great. I think he opens up a lot about his mental health, right? He needs to. I'm glad he's doing that, yeah. Because I'm hoping that Johnny, this is the beginning of the next chapter for Johnny Manziel post-football. I did see some commentary that that was the hope, and it seems like maybe he's not quite there yet That is as far as embracing the whole you know, new chapter of the life thing. But yeah. uh, I did read one piece of criticism, and it comes from a, a guy named Tony Grossi, who covers the Cleveland Browns mm-hmm. uh, and covered Johnny Manziel when he was in Cleveland. And he had a tweet this morning that said, the Johnny Manziel documentary was fairly a fairly lazy effort. It was Manziel, his agent, and family blabbering. <laughs> no Browns input, no mention of the homeless man. No <laughs> the ins- homeless man. I remember they advised the owner to, to draft Johnny Manziel. Yeah. <laughs> no insight into Ray Farmer, the GM, texting down to the sidelines to have Manziel inserted into game one of the Browns to play. It says uh, So from a Browns perspective, he said, um, rather terrible job, waste of time. He's t- he's coming at it from a journalistic perspective yes, too. Like he's like, you're a journalist. I need you to talk to multiple witnesses. Let's track down every Did major you talk story. To the homeless guy. To- I remember that story though that a homeless guy advised yeah. the owner of the Browns to draft Johnny Manziel. It's like, 
Why is this a story? <laughs> Only with the Browns well, remember, is a story. It was the same draft in which the Cowboys talked Jerry Jones out of drafting, drafting Johnny Manziel. I oh. almost talked myself into being a Johnny Manziel fan in that like three minutes we were on the clock. I was like, oh, <laughs> is this really going to happen right now? Like, I guess he was pretty exciting. Just, yeah, you know what? Have. People thought it was going to happen, though, and, and, and they were right because J- Jerry Jones had to be talked out of it by Steven Zach and Will McClay Martin. and all that. Zach Martin was the pick. And you drafted a Hall of Famer instead. Thank God. He's now in a holdout. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Somebody said Johnny's about to open a bar in College Station called Money Bar. Yeah, it's a Johnny Menzel-themed bar. That's good. No, that's what I'm saying. This is part of the second chapter for him. and I'm, He needs to use the you know, the fame that he gained as a player. And you can turn fame, you can turn shame into fame and fame into fortune these days. We know that's the Kardashian blueprint. Yeah. And he can follow that blueprint. The shame, he can turn that shame back into fame and then that fame into fortune. He needs to get on TV. Exactly. Reality TV. He should have been The Bachelor. Johnny. Ooh. Johnny. Johnny. Listen to married, me, Johnny. He was married, though, for a little while, wasn't he? He ain't no mo. Okay. Johnny, listen to me, Johnny. Get your agent to get you on The Bachelor. It will easily be the most watched Bachelor in the history of Bachelor seasons. And, by the way, they have a history of football players being on there. Boom. My former teammate used to be on there, Jesse Palmer. Listen, Boom. I'm going for Do it. Uh... Terrell, it, give me Terrell Owens on the Bachelor. Wasn't Aaron Rodgers' brother on there too? <laughs> he was. Yeah, he was on the bat. One of the guys on like the Bachelorette, yeah. I think. Johnny, do it, Johnny. Johnny, do it. Would you be more likely to watch Johnny on the Bachelor or Terrell Owens? Johnny, no T.O. Ter- baby, T.O. Please. Shirt off all the time. T.O. should just take no. over flavor. Love. We're done with T.O. Yeah, it is. We're done with T.O. Yeah, we done with T.O. T.O.'s nice and entertaining. Ty, what's the doing? pick of the night? You're one and one on your what's popping picks. I'm um, going against my heart here. Uh, I'm going to take the Astros money line plus one in 25. Ooh, tonight. you think that was a staggering blow last night with the granny. Granny. Nice it's hard to come back granny. from that. <laughs> with, your, with your horse on the mound, Felix Bautista. All right. Also, tomorrow, what's popping is the pick of Duncanville pass rusher Colin Simmons. He'll make it official. At 1 o'clock tomorrow at his high school, I saw somebody who named Billy Embody who writes for the Bengal Tiger. Oh, yeah. Conceding that he thinks it's going to be to Texas. He has posted pictures with all three schools in the last <laughs> 20 minutes on his social media. Colin Simmons is playing with people. <laughs> playing with people. Hey, thank you, Rod. Awesome. Awesome sound, brother. Be back times. tomorrow. We'll do five more tomorrow. Fourth day of the week, 6 a.m. Missed any part of this one with Rod, Ty, and myself. Podcast. All five hours. Hornfm.com.